0: All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners Podcast. Tonight we have episode two hundred and nine and we are gonna go back to the well and answer some great listener questions after taking a break to talk to Braden and Simon last week with the Canadian Investor Podcast, which was a really fun conversation. So if you guys haven't checked that out, go back and listen to the archives of last week's episode. It was it was awesome stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and read our first question. So we got this great question here. I thought it was appropriate because it talks about something Andrew and I both really like a lot. So here we go. Hi, Andrew. I've been listening to the podcast now for close to a year and love and appreciate all the advice. I've really learned a lot about investing, which I always was curious about and interested in but too scared to actually ever look into now i have the mindset of looking to make money work for me which brings me to my point Uh, this is a really cool point so i am the commissioner of a 12 team fantasy football league in which our our buy-in is a hundred dollars a person i'll be holding that money for the next six months and distributing all the winnings to the winner of our league but is there a way to make money off that money in the meantime I remember listening to your podcast where you two had mentioned commercial paper, and after looking into it a bit, these stocks do not appear to be too volatile. I was thinking of investing the the $1,200 and collecting dividends till the end of our season. Now I understand I will not be making a lot of money, but, but I was thinking I could generate a little bit more than I could then reinvest into my personal portfolio afterwards, Does this sound like a good idea, and what are some possible pitfalls that I might not be seeing due to my lack of experience? Thank you in advance for any advice you can provide, and keep up the great work with the podcast and website. Thanks, Brian. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Brian's really interesting and very creative question?
1: As a fellow commissioner of my own (laughs) league, shame on you. (laughs) The the amount of betrayal, all of your (laughs) league mates have... Given you this great responsibility, you're going to betray them like that. <laughs> in all seriousness, commercial paper is great for an emergency fund because the way commercial paper works, basically, it's if we think of stocks as you buy a stock, you're owning part share of the business. If you're buying commercial paper, you are loaning money to com- to these big companies in a very short time period like three to six months. So companies will borrow this money, pay payroll, pay, pay for their inventory, do those little business expenses. Some of the ETFs that do commercial paper that I've mentioned, one of them like ticker N-E-A-R near, they'll just hold a big basket of commercial paper with big companies, Ford, Toyota, whoever. The problem is it is still tied to interest rates. So if you're talking about a short time period There will be a little bit of volatility in it, so you could actually lose some money. That won't be a lot. Like I I have some commercial paper that's down like 0.02 percent, so I think I'm down like maybe three, four, or five cents. I don't know. Are your league mates going to be happy getting eleven ninety nine instead of twelve (laughs) hundred? But in all seriousness, it's there's not much upside to it, and I don't know the returns aren't that much, and there is. Slight volatility because of interest rates. And so that's kind of something to keep in mind. I don't know.
0: Would it be better served to just throw it in a savings account and just be done with it? I, a high yield savings account with somebody like Ally or some online bank of that nature I was going to pay a, a higher interest rate. And I suppose you could make a few extra pennies off of that period. The part of the problem with a situation like this is the short time period you're dealing with because the football season starts you know early September-ish and, and fantasy football ends, what, late December, early January-ish, somewhere in that range, depending on the league. So that's not a lot of time to really collect money on something like that. And so I, I guess outside of the fantasy football thing, if you're trying to put money aside for a six-month period and you want to maximize the most you can – I don't know that moving outside of a savings account is really going to earn you that much more money for, I guess, that much more volatility, which either way is not a lot. I I guess the what would it, the I I've never I've never bought commercial paper so i don't know let me ask you this question so opening a savings account depending on where it is fairly painless especially if you're working if you're working through the bank you already bank with if you go online or if even if you try to use one of the online accounts it's fairly painless how painless is buying commercial paper it's like buying a stock etf it's the same thing Okay. So it's the same kind of idea. So it's not super complicated. Are there any restrictions on taking your money out? Let's say that you put it in for three months and you take it out after a month and a half. Is there a penalty on removing nope, it that quickly? Nope. It's,
1: it's, it's completely liquid.
0: Okay. Yeah. I guess I would wonder, is it really worth the effort to to go into the trying to be Cute and try to put it in commercial paper for six months as opposed to just throwing it in a savings account and be done with it.
1: And I mentioned how it can slightly vary depending on the interest rates. And that's because you think about it, everybody borrows and lends at a certain interest rate. So as that moves, then how much you'll earn from that commercial paper will also move. Mm. So the fact that in a short time period, interest rates slightly went down was bad for my commercial paper. But again, it wasn't much. There is one other risk with commercial papers. Every once in a while, you get a market scare. When you saw this in 2008, 2009, when they had the money market funds that everybody thought was going to implode. And so there was definitely a lot of volatility in some of those. I know the commercial paper funds that I looked at, they had some volatility during the whole COVID thing. But it was like a drop of 5%. And it quickly rebounded. Once people realize the world wasn't going to end, mm-hmm. so that's the idea. Yeah, those are
0: it's it's creative thinking and it's certainly outside of the box idea. I just wonder if it's really going to in this circumstance. I'm not sure that it would help Brian much, but anybody else that's thinking, "Hey, I have this money that I need to save for the next six months before I do something," I I don't know that going through the rigmarole of trying to find the best commercial paper and then opening it, invested it. I don't know if that would benefit you that much
1: yeah it it, to me it's about the time period so Mm -hmm. the closer you get to a year maybe it starts to make sense Mm -hmm. but definitely if you're talking about months then we're really just starting to split hairs here right yeah yeah i would
0: i would feel like that too and if if Moving the money into a savings account is something that you're thinking about doing. There are a couple of things you you want to understand. Number one, uh, savings account is completely liquid, like so you can take the money out at any time. Number two, it's FDIC insured. So up to, I believe it's $250,000. It's insured for any sort of loss. Number three is if you put $100 in, you'll get at least $100 back. Depending on what bank, you may not get much more, but you will get the $100 back. So like Andrew was saying with the commercial paper, there is some fluidity to it. It may not be a lot, but with a savings account, you're guaranteed that whatever you put in, you will absolutely get back your capital, no questions asked. What kind of interest rate you could earn on that you know, It kind of depends. The, only, the way that you're going to make, I guess, more money with a savings account is several ways. One is to look for... Uh, do a little shopping around. Uh, There are some websites out there. I believe NerdWallet is is one where you can shop um, interest rates. So you can go there and you can look and see what kind of interest rates some banks will offer. And typically online banks will offer better rates than the brick and mortar banks will just because of the way the nature of those are how they're set up. They're also trying to attack more depositors. So they may pay you a better interest rate, at least over a short term. So that's one way. And the other way is just putting, simply putting more money in there. If you have a hundred thousand dollars in a savings account, it's going to earn way more than a thousand dollars is. So it's just the nature of compounding interest. But yeah, those are just a few things to think about.
1: Yeah. That's a good, (laughs)
0: All right. So, hopefully Brian we helped answer your question a little bit. So, <laughs> good uh, luck on the league.
1: I'm yeah, already in two, good. by the way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> not uh, going to chance- name
1: any names, but <laughs> a couple guys have not been performing and yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit disappointing. Chances are
0: if you have a, if you had a good draft and your team is really good, you'll probably make way more money off of winning the league than you will on any interest you might make. And yeah, all right. So let's move on to the next question. And this actually has four parts of it So we'll attack each question as we go along here. So we have a uh, thanks so much for your great show. I've started investing over the past year and I've learned so much from listening to your podcast. I'm 28 years old and at the beginning of my career. So I'd rather pay taxes now than in the future when I assume I will be in a higher tax bracket. I have self-employment income from a side gig, as well as income from a 1099 job and a separate W-2 job. So question number one, I am set out to max out my Roth IRA for the year soon. After I do, should I invest any additional money in a regular brokerage account, a simple IRA, a SEP IRA, or a solo 401k? Andrew, what are your thoughts on his question?
1: So since I am an entrepreneur and I have a solo 401k, I'm pretty familiar with that stuff not so much this the uh, simple ira or the sep ira so like those of you listening a solo 401k is something that you can basically do if you're self-employed but i believe the i don't know if that works for a side gig because if you have a nine to five where they offer you 401k then you might not qualify for a solo 401k so that's something i'd probably recommend you just do your own research on because I'm not in your situation. So good that you're maxing the Roth IRA. That's obviously very good. And so the question becomes, am I going to put it in something that as a self-employed person, I get benefits towards? I would say if you qualify and you do the research and you can, I don't see why I wouldn't do that. If you can't qualify, obviously you have to do a regular brokerage account and pay the taxes on that. The only other factor I guess would be depending on what kind of self-employed retirement account you have, you may or may not have good investment options. And so that's a factor too, depending on what you're looking for. So I like to buy individual stocks, but that's not to say that if I have a 401k plan that I wouldn't use if they have like index funds for the S and P that could be a good option too. So it depends on what your 401k provider will offer you and how much of your money do you want to put into individual stocks versus index funds. And some of them might not even offer index funds. Maybe it's a mutual fund, which might be more expensive fee wise. And that's just a tough question to answer unless we're looking at real numbers, which we don't do on the show. So You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I guess
0: a question that kind of springs to mind, and, and you might have a better answer for this than I do, with taxes with a regular brokerage account, what could somebody expect? So let's say that we we have three different investments in a brokerage, a regular brokerage account. If we have a company that doesn't pay a dividend, a company that does pay a dividend or an ETF, how would those be taxed? Yeah, that's an, a good question. On an annual basis. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's monarchmone dot beginners for your extended 30-day free trial.
1: It depends on if you sell the stock or not. So if you're not selling the stock, you're not going to pay capital gains. Yeah. Let's
0: say we don't sell any of them for the first year.
1: Okay. So So no capital gains. We don't have to worry about that. You do get taxed on the dividends. And so you're going to get taxed federally and from whatever state you're in. And so every state has different rules depending on some of them will depend on your income tax bracket. Some of them are just a flat rate. So you're going to have to pay those, and that's whether you reinvest them or not. And so also, (laughs) dividend taxes are also different depending on how long you've owned the stock. So let's say we were to sell the stock next year, then we would have to pay capital gains taxes. And so just like capital gains taxes are divided between short-term and long-term, you have a similar tax with the dividend where it's qualified or unqualified. And so essentially, the sh- if you're like a short-term or unqualified on your capital gains or your dividend tax, you're going to end up paying more than if you held it long-term. So for long-term, you have to hold for at least a year. For qualifying dividend, it's something similar to that. And the thing is too, again, I don't want to quote percentages because this stuff changes over time. The tax laws are fluid. But this general idea of having to pay capital gains taxes when you sell, having to pay taxes on dividends, those are things you do have to worry about when you have a regular brokerage account and you're not using a Roth IRA or a 401k or if you're using both. So what's at least a nice thing is most decent brokers will send you forms for your taxes, that you can just send straight to your accountant or you can set up through TurboTax wherever. And, and that's all kind of just taken care of easily for you. But you do have to pay that. If I'm receiving dividends and they're significant, I would definitely set aside money so that you can pay the taxes when they're due and maybe that's an application for commercial paper and maybe not I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good point those are I think important things for people to think about and plan for i think that's really good advice to think about what kind of implications this this could have on your taxes at the end of the year and Understand that Uncle Sam is going to come calling, especially if you have a record brokerage account and you need to account for that. And if it is substantial money, then it is something you need to think about. And I I would recommend that if you are not sure about the simple IRA, SEP IRA or the solo 401k is talk to your accountant before you make any decision regarding taxes. Andrew and I are not tax experts by any stretch. And we, we have some experience with some of these things just because of what we have personally gone through, but we're by no means tax experts. So if you do have specific tax questions, absolutely reach out to an accountant and talk to them because they will give you the, the straight skinny on what you need to know. All right. Let's move on to the next one. So we have, what is your view on investing in real estate, such as with the platform Fundrise, being that the funds will be illiquid for a few years? So what are
1: your thoughts on real estate and Fundrise? So me, I'm 100% stocks. I think that's been clear since the beginning. Um, So I'm not looking at real estate. I like the stock market. I like owning businesses and I get like the allure of real estate and that's for some people, it's just, it's not for me. I don't really have a view outside of, I wonder what a platform, like what the difference in investing through a platform versus investing in it directly. Obviously, it, I'm assuming that if you don't have enough to buy the property on your own or get financing to buy the property on your own, a platform would do that for you. I guess they have similar things with crypto too, but it goes back to a discussion we had a few weeks ago about how much control do you want over the things you invest in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love about stocks is that there's nothing coming in and changing my allocations. I hate the idea of somebody selling out an account managed by a robot and it's selling stocks when the market crashes and buying bonds that's just that would just give me nightmares and not to say that's what the reality is with other platforms but it does come down to that fundamental idea of how much control do I want and and does this type of investing fit with my philosophy and do I feel like I can do a good job picking whatever the asset is for me I find business exciting and I think a lot of people I think a lot of people can really relate with business because we're all consumers, and we all know what we like and what we don't like, and, and a lot of us have a good sense of when businesses are doing good and when they're not. And that's where I think the the differences might lie between the ideas of looking at something like this or something like the stock market. Yeah, I would I
0: I, I echo a lot of those ideas, and I think uh, I am I know enough about real estate to be dangerous, and. I know enough to know that I don't know enough. (laughs) And so for me, if I get the itch for real estate, really the two places I'm going to look are going to be REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, which are, they function like stocks, but they're basically entities that buy real estate for investors like me. And So those are businesses that operate real estate assets is the easiest way to think of it. And so that's one way you can get your real estate itch scratched is by investing in, in companies like that. And there's, I don't know, 300 or so different REITs out there that range from apartment complexes to, to data centers that are managed. And you can literally invest in almost anything real estate wise. If you want to, if you want to you know, invest in hotels via REITs, you could do that. If you want to invest in casinos, they have REITs that cover those. So there's just a wide range of stuff. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is ETFs. So we've talked about ETFs in the past, index funds, ETFs. There is lots of those that match different real estate sectors, markets. However, again, I don't, it's not something that is really in my wheelhouse. So I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I would imagine that there is lots of r- real estate ETFs out there that you could take advantage of to cover whatever it is you want. My sense of investing in real estate is that you either have to go the stock route like we're talking about, or you need to go the, I have to have the capital slash funds resources to buy properties. And there's a whole other level of due diligence that you have to do to buy, whether it's buying an apartment complex, an office space, or even just land that you want to develop. There are so many other layers and levels of things that you have to consider zoning. You have to think of taxes. You have to think all the money you have to raise and then who you're going to sell it to and where it is, the location idea. All those things come into play when you start buying actual real estate. There's a million people out there that talk about buying homes, flipping them and all that stuff. And that's not for me. And I'm not saying it's bad or good, but there are people out there that do those kinds of things. And there's probably lots of reputable people that do that for a living. And so if that's something you're really interested in there there are resources out there to help you learn more about that if that's really the route you want to go but if it's more along the lines of I want to throw 200 dollars in real estate a month idea I think looking at the stock ideas that I was discussing are probably more of a practical way. I'll admit I don't know that much about Fundrise, so I don't want to really say anything yay or nay about it, other than it's a platform you could use to invest, and in. it appears that it's a liquid for a few years, which for me would be like, no, I'm not too interested in that. There, If you really want to scratch that real estate itch, there are other ways to do it outside of buying your friend's house down the street. So there, there is that. All right. So now that we beat that horse, let's let's move on to the next question. Do you have any recommendations for how to pick ETF stocks to invest in?
1: Yeah, similar answer in the sense that I'm 100% stocks. And when I say that, I'm also 100% individual stocks. Look, the way I see it is, I don't know how much I said this last time, but I don't think I said it completely. If, if you're going to buy an ETF, isn't the whole point of buying an ETF so you can just set it and forget it? And not have to manage a portfolio and think about how you're going to manage. So it's like, why not just buy the S&P 500 if you're really going to go the ETF route? Mm -hmm. Versus if it's, I don't want to just have the S&P 500, I want to have more control. Then what's the difference between doing that and looking at stocks versus trying to mix and match 20 different ETFs? And the ETF document is arguably... If you're researching for an ETF, it's arguably as much research as you would doing a stock. A yeah, stock probably has a little bit more because you got to figure out the business and competitors. I get that. But you're not going to be able to just, I'm not going to be able to say here, buy these four ETFs and you're going to be perfectly fine. And nobody's going to be able to do that for you either. And because there's so many different outcomes that could happen, it's. I feel like you're stuck at a crossroads. You just have to pick. Do I want to go completely set it and forget it and buy ETFs? Uh, And buy a market ETF, or do I want to want to get a little bit more control? There's other applications we talked about, and you'll probably mention like buying a an index ETF that's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but you're still if you're doing that, you're at least still making these portfolio decisions yourself of maybe I want a ten percent in this industry, ten percent in that industry, Great. which is what you're doing with a regular stock portfolio. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wouldn't give any ETF stocks recommendations and i think as the prices change in the stock market you also have to position your portfolio for that and so we can't just give i, I don't feel comfortable giving just a broad percentage to say you should have this industry or this theme I, I don't think that works too well i i think when you think about when you think about different investing
0: ideas or how you want to go about doing it i think you have to go back start kind of start from zero and think about what kind of investor do I want to be? Because really, if you start mixing and matching things, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's lots of people out there that do that. They're that successful at it. But I think you have to figure out for yourself, how much involvement do I really want to have? If you want to be a stock picker and do all the things that Andrew and I love to do. And we talk a lot about, then you really need to go down that path. And, If you're going to look at picking ETFs, that's a different game because there's different ways to go about doing it. And it really depends on how you really want to go about doing it. I've read lots of different articles. I've listened to different podcasts of people that are solely in the ETF camp and they've really bought into that and that's the way they want to invest. But to Andrew's point, instead of buying three ETFs that match the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ, the three major indices, instead of buying that, they go into this whole um, slew of creating this portfolio of 15 to 20 ETFs. And so now you're managing all these ETFs like you would manage a stock portfolio. The Really, the only difference is that instead of maybe knowing the ins and outs of one company that fits into a slot that you may want to allocate for. Now you're having to think about a whole sector. So instead of thinking about just use Microsoft, for example easy. So you think I learn about Microsoft, I focus on that company, I really understand the company. And that's the company I need to pay attention to. But if I want to buy companies that match what Microsoft is doing, now I have to think about how does Amazon doing? How's Google doing? How's Microsoft doing? How's Snowflake doing? How's Datadog doing? All these other companies that kind of fall into the same kind of idea of what Microsoft may or may not be doing. And an ETF that tracks that, and what is the percentage of all those different companies that are really controlling the flow of the ETF and how well that ETF performs? Because an ETF, you have to think about it as it's a basket of companies that fall under an umbrella. But the thing about that is, is that generally the first Five to 10 companies really drive the majority of the returns for that ETF. And so if Microsoft, for example, has the greatest proportion of this particular ETF, let's say it's eighty-eight percent of the ETF, how Microsoft does is really going to drive that ETF. Why not just own Microsoft itself? Because now you're just diluting Microsoft's returns with other companies that may not be performing as well. And so it goes back to that whole idea of what kind of investor do I want to be? If you really want to be a set it and forget it investor, I think Andrew's idea is probably the best way to do it: is Pick two or three ETFs that cover a wide range of things that you really want to cover invest in them, put money in them every single month, exactly like a 401k does, because that's what a 401k does. If you do all those things, then this really is set it, forget it. But if you start creating a portfolio out of 15, 20, 30 ETFs that match all these different sectors and you know investing abroad and all these things, now you're managing an individual stock portfolio because you have all these other things you have to pay attention to. And ETFs trade just like stocks do and they will have what's called outflows. So in other words, if a particular ETF, let's say it's a sector that's tracking, I don't know, gambling, and gambling all of a sudden goes out of favor. Right now it's hot because of all this money that people had to throw at these kinds of things. But let's say that turns, and now that ETF starts to tank because everybody's pulling all their money out of those companies because they're losing money to stock Prices are falling like a, a brick and now all of a sudden that ETF tanks. Now you got to sell out of that too. And you get it, it. It's all the same ideas you have to think about if you're investing in solo stocks, if you're pick, buying and picking companies. So really it comes down to beating that horse again. It really comes down to what kind of investor do you want to be? Do you want to be a stock picker? Do you want to be somebody that invests with their 401k? And, and that's how they want to do it. And that is awesome. If that's really what you want to do because. You can earn great returns. It's easy, and you don't have to think about a lot, but you're investing, and that's the most important thing. It's it's the same kind of as Andrew was talking about with the set it and forget it with picking one or two or three ETFs and being done with it. If you start building portfolios based on 15, 20 ETFs, you're really creating a stock portfolio with just, I think, extra headaches. All right. That being said, if you really want to pick ETFs, here's where you need to go. There's a website called ETF.com they have all kinds of tools on there that will help you screen for ETFs. It'll give you all the lowdown on all the different ETFs and their their costs, the dividends they may or may not pay, how long they've been in existence, all the different components of all their different uh, portfolios, all those companies are in there. And so it's something I've looked at in the past. I know Andy, who's one of our contributors here, our partner in the company, he has used ETF.com to write about different ETFs that he's written about on the blog. So it, it's a great resource if that's something you really want to go down that path. But uh, I, I guess it's, think about what kind of investor you want to be in and then go from there.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, last question from Mark. He said, What is your view on investing in individual stocks recommended by a stock advisor service such as the Motley Fool? And he says, Thanks so much, Mark.
0: Okay. So let me take the first stab at this. So here's my kind of thought on this. I don't want to throw shade at, at Motley Fool, but I'll just, I'll relay my experience with Motley Fool is when I first started investing, I got an account with Motley Fool. Now keep in mind, Motley Fool has different tiers of investment portfolios that you can follow. And depending on how much you're willing to pay, you're going to get different kinds of services. So. That being said, uh, I I entered the entry level of whatever their service was, and I'll admit I don't remember the name of it at the the moment. But basically the way the service worked was they would send you a letter every month with the two main stock picks that they would recommend that you buy and that they would have a, a kind of a starter portfolio that you could pick these companies and start investing in them. So my experience was, is I ended up buying four companies that they recommended. One of them did awesome. The other three tanked horribly, like really bad, lost 70% of their value from the time I bought them to the time I finally sold them. The losses that I got that I had from just the three companies easily outperformed the, how well the other one did. And so I ended up losing money on the year that I was with the Motley Fool because uh, the kind of the way the service was, and pre, this keep in mind, this was pre-Fidelity and Schwab at least offering stock slices where you could buy portions of stocks. So at the time, if they recommended a company that was selling for $1,400 a share, the only option you had was to either buy $1,400 of that company or you couldn't buy it at all. And it didn't work. And it was the way that it was set up was that you had to put out a lot of money to get into all these companies. Cause some of them were trading at three, four, 500 bucks a share. And I didn't have that, those kinds of resources to, to invest in that. And so it just was, it didn't work out well for me. And so I was not it just didn't work out well for me. And so I guess my idea with investment recommendations for stock advisors is think about who who it is that you're investing with and having a plan and understanding how it's going to, it's going to go and I guess reading through all the fine print because I didn't read through all the fine print. And so I didn't understand how it was going to work. And so I think there's lots of great services out there. Andrew's being one of them that can Are very helpful and they're set up such that you can start from here and go to where you want to go without having to invest ten thousand dollars out of the gate because if that's really the case then that's not really beneficial to you in the long run so i guess that's my thought
1: yeah obviously i have my service and what all is it's what i'm doing with my own money and then i'm sharing that with everybody else and so the way i see it is a way for an investor to have that control that we talk about where you're not subject to all of the forces that that work against you. You have control of your portfolio. You own these shares. And at the same time, you get to leverage all the research that I do and and all the conversations and experience that you and I have had with all these different businesses and all these different stocks. And so I do think it does come down to that context that you're referring to. If you're going to follow a stock advisor service and the values don't align or they don't talk about the the type of companies that you want to be in, then that's probably not a good fit. If 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 you're not following the plan the way that they're laying it out and you're kind of picking and choosing, that may or may not work too. I have seen a lot of my brothers are on my plan, my girlfriend's on my plan. We're all doing the plan and it's working well for us. And you have to decide for yourself if that's something you want to do for yourself too. The way I see it is you don't have to there's no bonus for not getting help. There's no extra win for having figured it all out yourself. So you can totally leverage other resources and other people and other ideas. And that's where a stock advisor service can really come in handy.
0: Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And I think a couple things that I guess I wanted to expand a little bit upon. Number one is the idea of having skin in the game. So One of the things that attracted me to what Andrew was doing from the get-go was the fact that he was putting his own money into what he was recommending and other services out there. Some of them definitely do, but a lot of them don't. And It's that idea of if you're not eating your own cooking, then why would you listen to what that person is saying? It's like going to a restaurant and the chef doesn't even eat his own food. Would you eat there? I wouldn't. If he doesn't if he doesn't like his own food that he's cooking, why would I want to eat it? It's so it's that kind of idea. And I think the other idea is is the knowledge that you can learn from reading what other people are writing about and how they're investing is invaluable because that's really what Warren Buffett has been doing for the last 60 years. He's he's weighing out how he's investing. He doesn't specifically say this is why I bought American Express or Coca Cola, but he walks you through the processes of, of how he does that kind of thing. And And, Andrew does a lot of the same stuff in his, you know, monthly e-letter and other services that I've subscribed to as well do the same kind of thing. And you can learn a lot of information from these people that can help you along the way. Because like Andrew said, you you don't get extra bonus points at the end of the game for doing it on your own as opposed to asking for help or looking at what other people are doing. So uh, another thing I guess I wanted to to touch on a little bit was the idea of how when you start a service, one of the things that I struggled with with Motley Fool was I didn't really know how to start. And I know that's one of the things that Andrew has talked about in his letters over the past and how he sets it up so people, when they start from point A, they can get to point B. So would you want to fill us in on that?
1: Basically, it goes back to that discussion we've had several times where it's, okay, if I have a chunk of money, how do I invest it? Do I put it all in at once? And so when I'm looking at the picks I'm doing every month, it's always with that context in mind of somebody who's starting fresh and building a new portfolio and so every month it's a different pick. Sometimes they could be stocks that are in the portfolio, and sometimes not. And a lot of times that can depend on the price of a company. If a stock used to be attractive at fifteen dollars, it's no longer attractive at thirty. Obviously, I wouldn't buy that for myself, and so I don't recommend that either. At the same time, sometimes you buy a company and things start to go downhill, but. <laughs> you don't want to overreact because if you sold a stock every time you thought something went downhill, you wouldn't keep stocks very long. (laughs) No, But at the same time, if that seems like it's starting to go downhill, maybe somebody wouldn't buy into that as a new pick too. So that's like why every month I'm always putting the new pick, whether that's an ad from the portfolio or a brand new stock and always mentioning if there's other companies in the portfolio that are still a good deal. And that's makes it really easy to follow for somebody, whether they're first starting out or whether they've been with the portfolio for years, or even if you're like me, who's been there since the beginning, and I can just follow what I wrote and just put that in my brokerage account. That's really easy.
0: I, I agree with him. And I think that's one of the things that whether you look at what Andrew's doing or other people is really understand where they're coming from. If they have skin in the game, what you can learn from them. And then also, how easily do they make it so that you can get started and follow along with what they're doing? Because if they don't, if they just throw out a bunch of recommendations and say, hey, buy my portfolio, kind of to what Andrew was saying, if you buy, I don't know, uh, I can't think of a company off the top of my head, but If you buy a company that has had great returns over the last 20 years, but now is maybe only going to earn very small amounts over the next five or 10 years, then that's not doing you any service by telling you to buy that now, because that's, that's really undermining what really the recommendation should be. Really, what it comes down to is Andrew is acting like a fiduciary's job. It's a big word, but what it really means is your job is to look out for the other person's finances just like they were your own. So you have to treat people like you would want to be treated. And that's what Andrew is trying to do. And I'm not saying that as like an ad for Andrew's service. I'm just saying that's really where we're coming from is we're coming from it as a fiduciary, as opposed to other, there are other services out there that aren't necessarily looking at that. And that's something you want to think about whenever you're considering using another service. And I'm not going to mention names because that's not how I work, but it's something for you to think about.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I feel like you explained it a little bit better than I do. So <laughs> it's good getting that that perspective. But yeah, I'm trying to do and I've been trying to do since the beginning.
0: All right, folks. So with that, we are going to go wrap up our Q&A for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to write us those great questions. Mark and Brian, you can send us some great stuff. So it was a lot of fun talking about those, especially the fantasy football. I know we got a smile out of that one. But Without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with the margin of safety emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to y'all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven steps to understanding the stock market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day.